Well, it is, it is difficult to wrap our brains around the numbers, uh, but, but megachurches are all of the rage today. You know, the largest and, and fastest growing churches in America. While church attendance is on the decline in 70 to 80 percent of mainline denomination churches, the, the number of megachurches is actually on the rise uh, in our country. W- what is a megachurch? It is defined as those which have, um, have 2,000 people or more in average weekly worship attendance, 2,000 people or more. According to the Hartford Institute for Religion Research, there are over 1,400 megachurches in the United States. They suggest that the megachurch phenomenon uh, began in earnest uh, in the decade of the 70s. And, and they went on to say that there are certain characteristics of these churches. This is, this is what they are known for. First, most are Protestant. In fact, about half are non-denominational. Second, virtually all of them have conservative theology. Uh, about over half of them are considered evangelical. Evangelical is defined as those which believe in the, in the inerrancy of Scripture and that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Next, most, uh, most are in suburban areas of rapidly growing cities. Next, most sit on 50 to 100 acre campuses near major thoroughfares. Most have large parking areas with equally large auditoriums. And yet, most also have multiple sites. Uh, an average of almost four sites per church in the top 100 megachurches. Next, interesting, most grew to their large size within 10 years of their foundation. In other words, there was this explosive initial growth. And then, last, most grew under the tenure of a single senior pastor who is typically male, um, second, has significant personal charisma, and third, is authoritative in teaching and administration. You might be interested to know that there are about 50 such megachurches in the state of North Carolina that have these characteristics. As I researched this week, I discovered that there is actually a new category of megachurch called, of course, the gigachurch. It's actually the largest of the large. They run over 10,000 per week in worship attendance. According to the September 2011 um, issue of Outreach Magazine, there are about 70 gigachurches in the United States. Now, hang in with me. I I know that this just sounds like a bunch of numbers, but I'm going somewhere. I looked at the top 20 gigachurches. Let let me list three or or four of them for you. And in fact, as as I say the name of the church, I want you to think of the first thing that comes to your mind. In other words, what are the well-known qualities or characteristics of these largest, largest churches 
in the United States, the largest of the large. Of course, number one on the list for several years running now is Lakewood Community Church in Houston, Texas. They run 43,500 people each week. That's actually larger than Watauga County. What comes to mind when I say Lakewood Community Church? Well, certainly Senior Pastor Joel Osteen. You know, big smile, um, nice hair. Maybe, maybe also health, wealth, and prosperity theology or, or gospel light. Second on the list, North Point Community Church in Atlanta, actually Alfreda, Georgia, which runs over 27,000 in weekly worship attendance. What comes to mind when I say North Point Community Church? Well, of course, Senior Pastor Andy Stanley, son of Charles Stanley. Maybe, if you're familiar with the church, multi-site, they do that really well. Or perhaps great children's ministries. We, in fact, use their children's ministry programs here at Alliance. Third on the list, used to be first, they've slipped a little bit, but they've regained, they're actually back up to third, is Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago, Illinois, with over 24,000 in weekly worship attendance. What comes to mind when I say Willow Creek? Well, no doubt, Senior Pastor Bill Hybels, and and maybe also a seeker-driven model with a real strong focus on evangelism. Next, also in the the top ten, it's not actually fourth, but in the top ten, Saddleback Community Church in Lake Forest, California, with with an average weekly worship attendance around a paltry 20,000. What comes to mind when I say Saddleback? I'm sure Senior Pastor Rick Warren, maybe Purpose Driven Life or Purpose Driven Church, which you actually wrote before, Purpose Driven Life. Now, and maybe the program Celebrate Recovery, which began there. What comes to mind? When I actually listed those four churches um, on there, I thought, well, maybe we should change our name to Alliance Community Church. <laughs> now, I suppose if you lived in those communities, other things about those churches um, would come to mind. And, and the truth is, we don't live in those rather large communities, so why don't, we, why don't we bring it home to our community? Let's consider for a moment the largest churches in Watauga County. What comes to mind when you hear Mount Vernon Baptist Church? Southern Baptist, conservative theology, uh, maybe between pastors, if you, if you know that. And I would add, great church. Boone United Methodist Church. Big church, new pastor, nice facilities. Uh, Cornerstone Summit. African-American pastor. Southern Gospel, kind of hip, been there. Lots of students. And, of course, what comes to mind when you think of Alliance Bible Fellowship? I 
I can tell you what the leadership uh, thinks of or, or values um, at, at Alliance. Several years ago, we went through a process of writing a mission statement, and we also identified uh, the central purposes for, for which we exist. The, the mission statement that you, you will see in various publications or print media, um, it goes like this, we are called by the grace of God, for the glory of God, to become and multiply fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That's cute. That's, that's pretty good. I was actually part of the group that came up with that. We narrowed down um, our primary purposes for which we exist and which supports this mission statement with, with the following purposes. Lots of words, but basically it's worship. We exist to worship, to pray, for fellowship, for discipleship, to, to minister, to serve through ministry, and to evangelize. It wasn't rocket science. That was, actually, that was actually pretty good too. At least it looked good on paper. What comes to mind when you think of Alliance Bible Fellowship? kind of asked you that question about five years ago, 2006. We conducted a survey within the church, and we asked questions like, um, what drew you to Alliance? When you moved to the community, what was it that caused you to visit Alliance? And, and then what is it that keeps you at Alliance? And the top three answers strongly on, on the list were biblical teaching, authentic worship, and church mission and philosophy. That's good. That's interesting. Is that it? What do you think of when you think of Alliance? I wonder what other people think. You know, people who don't attend Alliance. Or here's a penetrating question, those people who used to attend Alliance. I, 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 I'm sure that some of you could, could tell me, I'm just not sure that I'd want to hear it. I wonder what people at Mount Vernon um, or Boone United Methodist or Cornerstone think of Alliance. Here's, here's another question. Is it even important? Do we even care? Or I wonder what non-Christians, what, what people in our community think about alliance. Is that even important? Do we even care? Uh, as you know, we are studying Paul's letters. He wrote he wrote 13 of them, 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. We know that some were written to individuals, but most of them were written to local churches like Alliance. As was typical in the letters of his day, he identified himself as the author, identified the recipients of the letter, and then after a greeting, um, it was customary at that time uh, to offer some thanksgiving for your readers. Paul followed that particular custom. He would typically say something like, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the saints who are in, you know, the church at Rome or, or Corinth or 
Ephesus or Philippi or Colossae or, or, or Thessalonica. And then after giving him his Christianized greeting of, of grace and peace, he would typically offer some thanksgiving for his readers. And then, now, now, those thanksgivings usually had something to do with the church. That is, this is what he thought of, this is what he had heard about this particular church. This was, this, was, this was their character. This was their quality at, at Rome or Corinth or Ephesus. In fact, why don't we consider a few of Paul's thanksgivings to the church at Rome. I want to remind you, he's never been to Rome. Everything that he knew about Rome was hearsay. This was their reputation. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. What did Paul think of when he thought of the church at Rome? Faith. To the struggling church in, in Corinth, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. S struggling church, what does he think of? Grace. Notice, he doesn't mention worship attendance or parking or auditorium size. He says nothing about church programs and particularly irritating, he doesn't even mention the name of the senior pastor. To the church at Philippi. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in every prayer for you all. Why? In view of your participation in the gospel. Let's go on. To the church at Colossae, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of, this is, what we, this is your reputation, this is what we hear about you Faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. Church of Colossae, when I think of you, this is what pops into my brain, faith and love. To the church in Thessalonica, we give thanks to God, always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, uh, constantly bearing in mind, this is what we think of, your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope. Church at Thessalonica, when I think about you, I think about faith, hope, and love. Well, you don't think about worship style? You don't think about their facilities? You don't think about their greeting team? Church in Ephesus, the book we're studying now. For this reason, I too, having heard, heard of the faith, it's what you're known for, heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you. Ephesian believers, this is what you're known for. You're known for faith. You're known for love. So when Paul thought of churches, the characteristics, the qualities for which he was most thankful and which then found, the, them, found its way into the eternal Word of God, Paul was thankful for the evidences of grace and the gospel, faith, hope, and love. He did not thank God for their size, for how fast they were growing. They never made it to Glossy Print Magazine. 
He did not thank them for their location, their pastor, or their programs, all of the things with which we become most enamored. Let's focus our thoughts on that last one since that's the the letter that we're studying, Ephesus, Ephesians. You might be interested to know that Ephesians 1 is actually comprised of three sentences. There's that salutation stuff in the first two verses. Then there's that very long eulogy in verses 3 to 14. took us three weeks to cover. But now verses 15 to 23 is another very long sentence in the Greek. And Paul starts his thanksgiving. This was customary. He starts his thanksgiving with what he had heard about the church. This is what you are known for. There There's some rumors flying around about the church in Ephesus that he had heard all the way in Rome. This is what Paul thought of. This is what he'd heard about Ephesian community church. Having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints. That's it. Faith in Jesus and love for Jesus' people. That means brothers and sisters in Christ. This is what they were known for. This is, these were their characteristics. This is what Paul was thankful for. Faith in Jesus. That's the vertical re- relationship. And as a consequence, your love for each other. That's horizontal relationships. You see, faith in Jesus produces relationships with one another. In fact, we're going to see in just a moment that no love for one another means no faith. You say what you want. No love for each other, no faith. So again, my question, what do you think of when you think of Alliance Bible Fellowship? Is it our faith uh, and our love for Jesus' people? I have an inkling based on survey five years ago and having been here for a number of years. I have an inkling that we're known for being the place where you go to get the Bible. Is that it? I had intended to get through verse 19 today. Obviously, we're not going to make it. You see, I was struck with what Paul valued in the church then as compared to what we value in the church today, what makes the magazines, what Paul praised and what we pursue. I don't want to oversimplify things, but Do you suppose that if we would pursue as a church the first and second commandment, if we would love God and love people, and by the way, I know churches that have that as their mission statement. Here it is, love God, love people. Do you suppose that if we loved God and loved people that we would be a successful church? I didn't say we'd make it into a magazine. I said we would be a successful church. Look at those two verses with me closely. I've already preached more than half my message, simple outline, faith in Jesus, um, love for people. Admittedly, that second point will be focused primarily on love for all the saints, but I'm going to take the liberty to expand that uh, to love for people at at the end, God's people and for those not yet His people. And and then let me tell you how how we're going to end this morning. I'm going to ask us together as a church family, uh, to spend some time in prayer. We're not going to do it individually. I mean, you can. You can pray where you are. But I want us to corporately pray 
that God would make us a people of faith, greater faith, and deeper love. In fact, there's a microphone set up right here. That's what it's there for. At the end, I'm going to ask some of you to pray for us that we would do that. Start with faith in the Lord Jesus, verse 15. Paul starts this long sentence, again, that stretches all the way to the end of the chapter with the words, for this reason, for what reason? As because of this long eulogy that I recited that is true of you as well, you've been chosen, you've been predestined, you've been forgiven, you, uh, uh, you've been lavished with grace because you heard and, and believed the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, which resulted in the sealing of the Spirit and the reception of the Spirit as a, as a pledge. Because all of this is true about you, I too, having heard of, well, the impact of the gospel on your life. Because, I've heard, because these things are true in you, and I know it by the things that I've heard. I don't stop giving thanks for you. And by the way, in verse 16, he says, I don't cease giving thanks for you. That simply means every time he thinks of the Ephesian, um, uh, the, the Ephesian church, this is what he thinks about, faith and love. And I give thanks to God for that. What are the evidences of grace that he sees? Um, Having heard of, and let me address that for just very quickly, that's the statement, I too, having heard of, is a statement which causes some people to say that Paul didn't write Ephesians. What do you mean he heard of it? He had actually been there for three years. He didn't have to hear about it. He knew it. Well, two very rational explanations for that. Number one is this was intended to be a circular letter to go outside of Ephesus uh, to areas around that Paul had never visited, and, but he'd heard about their faith. And then, and secondly, and, and, and more likely, is he hadn't been there in six years. He'd been in prison in Jerusalem and Caesarea, and now in, all the way in, in Rome. Uh, but, but in the midst of his very difficult circumstances, he had heard of their continued, that's the idea, he had heard of their continued faith in the midst of difficult circumstances, and this brought him great jo joy. See, Paul preached the gospel in Ephesus. Uh, uh, you, you remember, Ephesus was a hotbed of religious pluralism. They, they were fine to worship lots of gods, but when when, when Paul called them to worship exclusively one God, it caused them a problem. You see, they worshiped um, the goddess Diana. Later, we'll find that Ephesus was home to the dark magical arts. It was full of demonic activity, what Paul is going to call powers and authorities. And, and as, he's, as the gospel is spread there in Ephesus, we know from reading Acts chapter 19 that this, it resulted in a citywide riot. Uh, the description, if you read it, is that the rioters were filled with rage and began dragging people into the theater. You see, it was dangerous to be a Christian in Ephesus. It, it cost something. You know, next week, we're going to come, International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, and Glenn stands up here and he says, hey, he says, next week, try to imagine living in another country. And that's going to be hard for us. But I want to challenge us. Try and imagine living in most of the rest of the world. And we're going to pray for brothers and sisters who don't find it easy like us to be Christians. Paul heard of their continued faith. He was encouraged. The faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you. Faith in the Lord Jesus is that message of truth that he had talked about 
before, the, mess, the gospel of your salvation. He's encouraged that in this evil, pluralistic, antagonistic society that they had kept the faith which had as its object Jesus. They had believed in and continued to believe in the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God for sinners, and this encouraged him. Your faith is something. It is strong. I hear about it. This is great. And the result of their faith, he had heard also and was thankful for their love for all the saints. Need to be faithful to the text. He says that he had heard of their love for all the saints. Now, the word love is that word agape, you know it. It speaks of, of an intense, self-sacrificing form of love when it's brought into the Christian context. It speaks of a love that seeks to give rather than to re- receive uh, it, it's a love that is others-focused. That's why he was hearing about it. I mean, selfish love, you don't hear much about that. Others-focused love, that's unique. A love, that, a love that always seeks the highest good and the will of God for others, that's different. And he was hearing about it. Now, uh, who, uh, they had this love for all the saints. What, who are what are saints? He'd use that word back in the opening verse of, of this letter. Uh, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus. Saints are holy ones, those who have been made holy by um, their faith in Jesus. So here, Paul's talking very specifically about their love for one another, for brothers and sisters in Christ. He had heard of their continued faith and their sacrificial and growing love for, for one another. He had heard about this all the way in Rome. See, this is unique. This is different. People are by nature always have been selfish. You get a bunch of people together who start loving each other, that's weird. This love was for all the saints, no exclusions. Their love was not discriminatory, it was not prejudicial. They didn't have favorites. It's very simple. If you were a follower of Jesus Christ, you're my brother and sister, I love you. That's it. It's all it takes. It's a family relationship that results in deep love, regardless of how adorable or how not adorable you might be. Consider these familiar verses. The night before his cross, Jesus said in John chapter 13, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. This is how I want you to love one another. This is the depth to which I want you to love one another, even as I have loved you. That's how I want you to love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. People uh, will know that we are followers of Jesus Christ, um, not by our orthodoxy, as important as that is, not by our teaching, our biblical teaching, our authentic worship, or even our philosophy and and mission, as cute as those might be. They will know that we are Christians, Jesus said, by our love, specifically for one another. Here's my question. Paul said the church in Ephesus and others that he wrote to were known by their faith and their love. For My question, for what are we known? See, love is a non-negotiable ingredient of the Christian life. In fact, John, the, the beloved disciple, w- would later write, he wrote the Gospel of John, and then in his first epistle, 
remembering his gospel, he says this, for this is the message which you have heard from the beginning. This is what Jesus told us in John 13, up in the upper room, that we should love one another. We know that we have passed out of death into life. We know that we are Christians because we love the brethren. He who does not love, and the idea is the brethren, abides in death, aren't Christians. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Say, I love God, can't stand God's people, you don't know God. As a result, no, it says, by this, the love of God was manifested, that God has sent His only begotten Son in the world that we might love, live through Him. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. On and on, read the, God, the, the first letter of John. Christians, Christians love each other. It is an evidence of our faith. It is evidence that we know Jesus. In the early church in the book of Acts, we find that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. That's that vertical part. And to the fellowship. That's the horizontal part. They loved one another. They loved each other so much that they couldn't get enough of each other. They met daily in one another's houses. That's what the early church did. Daily in one Well, I'm really busy. Daily in one another's houses. They didn't have TV. Daily in one another's houses. There was none who had a need among them because those who had shared with those who had not. And as a result of all of that, there was a sense of awe in the community about these Christians and their mutual love and care for one another. There was a, there was a Roman historian, I think it was Tacitus, don't quote me on that, but I think it was Tacitus, who was not a Christian, who wrote disparagingly of Christianity. But one of the things that he noted when he wrote about Christianity, one, at one point he said, but my, how these Christians love one another. As a result of all that, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved, because who wouldn't want to be part of that? For what are we known at Alliance Bible Fellowship. This week, 80-year-old John Bauer passed away. You probably did not know him. He and his wife have been attending our church for about three years now. First service, primarily, just kind of come and go, although they did become part of a small group. Died this week. I talked about that because they left yesterday. Their children, four of them, live in Florida, three in Florida, one in New York. They, they, they came in as soon as they heard, got here as quickly as possible for a very small funeral on, on Thursday. Doug did the funeral, did a great job. And at the funeral, very small, were these very few family members and the members of John and Jan's small group. And all four children stood up and talked about how they were concerned when they heard that dad had passed away, that mom would be alone. So they hightailed it to Boone. And all four talked about how when they got here, they found out mom was not alone. They talked about how much love had been poured out on mom and them through this small group. 
I, I suppose they might um, tell others in Florida and, and New York about that. Don't, don't know. But, but I want to suggest that th- this week we were known by our love for one another. After the first service, Sharon Hefner came up to me, moved here from California a few years ago. She came up to me, she said, Scott, I was a new Christian when I moved here, and when I, my, my, my daughter lived here, and so I asked her to ask people where she works. She works on the university, uh, on the campus, and she says, I asked her to ask, um, to ask people in her department, what is a loving church in Boone? And she got the name Alliance Bible Fellowship. I hope that's true. Authentic community, loving each other deeply from the heart is evidence of our faith in Christ. Can I tell you that's what our Encounter Alliance team is all about? Not just so that you have a plastic smile uh, to greet you when you drive into the parking lot, but so you have people who genuinely love and welcome you to our worship gatherings so that we can all experience um, love for one another. It's why when we have that Thanksgiving dinner two weeks from tonight that you're going to come to, um, you're going to find that we're going to set up the tables a little differently this year. We're going to set up long, I think eight, might be 16, I don't know. Um, we're going to set up long tables in, in this auditorium so that we can all sit together and be part of a loving family. Um, Glenn mentioned that we have about 100 youth gone to a retreat down at Teen Valley Ranch this, um, this, uh, this weekend. I have three kids there. Can I tell you that my prayer has been, even before I studied, my prayer has been twofold for them this week. Number one, that they would grow deeper in their relationship with God, and number two, that they would be accepted. Isn't that what, parent, isn't that what you want? Isn't that what we want as a church of Jesus Christ? to go deeper in our faith, and to go deeper in our love for one another. Last week, I um, shared that we alone um, have the message of truth, the gospel of salvation. Last week, I shared, as I often do, that Christianity is exclusively true. But, 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 but what are we supposed to do with that? You see, this. I want to suggest that this love that we, this genuine deep love that we have for one another is to transcend the walls of this church. Sometimes it is rightly laid at my feet that I'm more concerned about being right than I am being loving. And and I don't don't want to be that way. You, You see, because we have the truth of the gospel, it becomes, should become our deep and passionate desire to share that truth with others, to see them come to repentance and the knowledge of the wonderful, grace-filled truth of Jesus Christ. So, for what are we known at Alliance Bible Fellowship? I want us to be known as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ who love people a lot, both inside and outside the church. I'm going to go ahead and invite our worship team uh, to make their way to the front. Um, As they're coming, as I told you at the beginning, I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. I want us to stay um, together and pray 
together as a church family. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand to your feet if you would right now. It, it, it might be that you just, uh, you just want to stay where you are and, and pray silently. You, you can do that. But I'm going to ask, since we are a church family, we've set up a microphone. We, we can only use one at a time, so there's one microphone. Sit, sit right up here. And I'm, I'm going to ask some of you to come, two or three, four or five, I don't care, to come and to pray for us as a church family that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and that we would grow in our love for one another and for this community. Uh, he's the only one that can do that work in us. And so as the instrumentalists play, we're going to spend some time together uh, in prayer right now. Pray silently.